0: Well, good morning. Hi. My name is John. I'm a pastor on staff here. Um, Some of you know me. Some of you don't. But uh, I don't know if you guys do know this, but I've been saving up for a beachfront property. And like I like to pay cash because biblically it's not right to go into debt. Um, Nothing too fancy, but just something where I can earn some extra money. So I have money in the bank and then I found out when I woke up the other day that $120,000 had been stolen from me, been taken. Yeah, it wasn't the mortgage crisis and it wasn't the stock market crash. It was actually taken from me. But you know, that's not really that big of a deal when you're making $1.4 million an hour. That's right, I make $1.4 million an hour. It's true. My Mafia Wars guy does that. You guys heard of Mafia Wars? Check out my profile right here. This is it. You see, I play on the iPhone. You can play online, too, if you've heard about it. And uh, this is my guy. His name is Pizza Face. Good Italian name, you know. And uh, besides, what happens when you get hit by Pizza Face? And if you can see, it's not very clear, but $1.4 million an hour is what I'm making an hour. An hour. That's right. You know, the object of this game is to make more money. It's to take out other criminals. This is what it says is, is actually the uh, object to do jobs, to fight rival mafias in order to rule the city. I have 38 mafia members. You know, I've got SUVs and cars. Check out some of my stuff. I got another screen up here. See, I've got all these weapons up here and I've got properties. I got a bunch of Italian restaurants, of course. <laughs> Listen. Also, what I get to do is I take on other mafia members, other mafia families. I got a sample up here. You know, the guy who got me into this, by the way, was Mark, Pastor Mark. When I got my iPhone, he's like, John, you got to join this like four weeks ago. Look, at there's Mark right there. Cannoli is his name. So like you go on and I got my I got it on my thing right here. And uh, immediately I can, you know, fight somebody. So let's see. There's this guy called Lucky. I'm going to fight. See if I can take some money from him. You guys hear that? You hear that? You the man. I just took seven point one K from him. Seven point one thousand thousand dollars. That's right. He told me I'm the man. So I'm here building up my thing. My goal is to become the mafia Don, you know, the top guy. So I keep playing. But here's the deal. I got to hide my phone from my wife. You see, she, over the last four weeks, I've spent hours playing this game and I'll be like, she'll go over to like, the bathroom and I'll go over to my phone and I'll start playing. She'll come back and I'll set it down, you know, because I know if she sees me playing on that phone, she's going to be like, hey, that's our time. Not my time anymore. It's like, that's our time you're wasting, you're spending playing this game. And my wife is sitting in the audience right now and I realize that this is probably the end of Pizza Face because I'm revealing it to you and to her at the same time. It's over for Pizza Face. And some of you might say, John, you know, that's silly spending so much time on something that doesn't matter. Do you really think there's any purpose to playing until you make it to the top? Well, I mean, I get bragging rights, right? At least that I'd be able to brag, but I guess it's not that much. You you know, there are a lot of people who spend like half their time playing video games and into these things that really don't have any purpose. And why would anyone do that? Why would we spend our time pursuing something that has no real value or purpose? And yet a majority of the world, I think, lives their lives in a way that's contrary to their purpose. And I believe it's because they don't know what their purpose is. I believe that they invest in things that have no eternal value because they're not sure. And when they're investing in all these things, it's kind of like playing this video game. It really amounts to not much at all. And you're saying, wow, you're just into this, doing these things. I mean, Lord, is that what life really all about? I mean, think about it. I get up, I get dressed, I get up, I go to work, I come home. Next day I get up, I get dressed, I go to work, and I come home. You know, and we just keep doing this routine knowing that ultimately there's something better out there for us. And a lot of times we phrase the question in regard to this as, Lord, what is your will for my life? Show me, Lord, what is your will? I think we can spend a lot of time thinking about that question when that question has actually already been answered for us. You know, this week we're going to look at a group of people who are very aware of their purpose. They understand the times and the seasons that they live in and they know exactly what their purpose is. And I think from them, you and I are going to learn a lot about what our purpose is. We're currently in this city ca- uh, series called It's the End of the World as We Know It. It's a study of the book of Revelation. And last week, Pastor Bob began looking at some of the events that start with the Great Tribulation. And we're at a point where all hell is going to break loose. Now, I want to warn you from this point on, the next half of this message, we're going to spend going over a lot of biblical stuff. So hang on to your seats. Listen, last week we saw that a fourth of the people died from pestilence, and from wars, and from famine. But this is only the beginning. Let's pick it up from where we left left off last week in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. It says this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and brethren who would be killed as they were was complete. I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place and the kings of the earth, the great and the the great men and the rich men, the commander, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Here we see, with these two seals opening, two different reactions, one in heaven and one on earth. When this fifth seal is open, we see all these people who were killed for their faith. There's this picture of heaven of all these people. They're there underneath the altar who died for the gospel of Jesus. <clears throat> and they're waiting for their number to complete. And they cry out, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? You see, the time of the tribulation will not be an easy time for a Christ follower. The Bible indicates that the seven years will progress. It will get harder and harder and harder to be a Christian. In fact, later in this study, as we go through the next weeks, we're going to see this figure called the Antichrist. And those people who will not bow down and worship him will be actually killed for what they believe in. See, at this time, people are actually dying for following in Jesus. Now, listen, this morning... I get up kind of early to come into church this morning. Our alarm goes off and my wife, the loving wife that she is, she sticks her foot in my back and pushes me <clears throat> off the bed. She does that every Sunday. And I'm like, oh, babe, let me sleep another little bit longer. You know, I'm like, I don't even want to go to church today. I'm so tired. But she's like, John, you've got to get up and make sure things get set up over right there. And so she's more than happy to help me out. She's beautiful and wonderful in the way she does that. Listen, maybe you guys think the same thing some mornings. You're like, oh, I'm just so tired. I don't want to go to church today. Maybe you decide because, man, I'm too tired or I've got something going on today. I'm just I'm just not going to go. You know, in the morning, like some of the toughest decisions we may have to make is what am I going to wear? What am I going to feed the kids today? Honey, you make sure you get them ready. Let's go. You know, but in this time the hardest decision for them the decision that they're going to be make is shall i risk my life to go and gather with other christians you see it's going to cost you your life to follow jesus but listen it's not going to be any easier For the people who are on the earth who don't believe in Jesus either. The sixth seal that we just read opens with these cataclysmic events occurring on on the earth. Meteors and asteroids are hitting the earth and it's causing ash to go into the atmosphere and the sky is darkened and the moon is turned to blood. It says the mountains are moved and islands are moved. I can only imagine what that will do to my house. You know what that will do to the cities. And so all the men on the earth, the people of the earth are running into the mountains and hiding in caves. And they're like, God, let the rocks just fall on me because the day of wrath has come. Man, that's going to be a scary time. And what's interesting here in these two seals, we see two different reactions. We have see those people in the time when God turns up the heat, when the pressure is on. People usually have one of two reactions. They're either going to draw closer to God or they're going to draw away. And that's what we're observing No matter what's happening, people are still drawing away. You may be wondering as I'm talking about this, like, will I have to go through this? Will I have to make this decision about God, about Jesus? Will I have to do that? Will it cost me my life? The answer to that question is not if you do it today. You see, many people have wondered who will be in the tribulation. And if you were here when we were studying Revelation chapter four, Pastor Bob mentioned that the church is already in heaven. You see, if you're a person that accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you won't experience God's wrath. You see, you're going to be a part. You're going to be part of this thing that's termed the rapture, the rapture. We live in this church age. Church age is when Jesus was resurrected until the time when he returns for the tribulation. And that during the tribulation, just before it begins, God comes back for his church. Listen to what the Bible says. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are, alive, or who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. It's this is word caught up. That's where we get our term rapture. You're raptured. You're caught up. That's what it is. These people are raptured. We are going to be raptured. God will come for his church at the end of this age before the tribulation begins. But that leads me to another question. Will anyone be saved during the tribulation? I mean, if the church is gone, who's going to be telling people about Christ? Who's going to be telling them about God, pointing the way? We're not going to be here. We're going to be gone. Well, listen, God has an answer. God has a plan. And you're about to find out. Let's read in chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 1 of Revelation. After these things, they saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. That the wind should not blow on the earth or the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, one hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of Israel, Of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000. Asher, Napali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. I just kind of flew through that. If you thought things were tough up to this point, it's about to get really bad. Man, we thought, well, it sounded pretty tough, but it's going to get even worse. But before it happens, there's like this calmness on the earth. God says, the angels hold back the wind. You know, we've heard that term before, right? There's the calm before the storm. It seems like everything just kind of stops. And God holds back everything and he says, wait. Before everything gets really, really crazy, he thought it was crazy before, but it gets really crazy, I need to do something. I need to seal all these people who are going to be my witnesses during this time. You see, they are special people that God is sealing just for that time to protect them so that they can be his witnesses. They're set, as far, set apart as a divine remnant of people that God might show his grace and his mercy through them and reveal to the world who God is. And there are new people in this perilous time, not the church, a new people. And who are these people? They're the tribes of Israel. It's the people of Israel. It's the Jewish people. That's what it tells us. God takes the time to number who they are. Now, there are different people out there. There are different groups that say we're the 144,000 witnesses. It's us. But there's some problems with that. Those groups, their numbers have gotten greater than 144,000. A lot more. So I guess they're fighting over who's who in that organization. Listen, also, some of them have already died. Well, if they're dead, how can they be there to be these witnesses? No, God's very specific. In fact, he lists, not just says that they're the tribes of Israel. He lists them specifically. And when God begins to list specifically, he does it for a purpose. You see, these people are the tribes of Israel. They have one purpose, and that's to bring the gospel of salvation to the people of earth during the Great Tribulation. You see, and these guys aren't messing around. It's very clear in that time who you will decide to follow. It won't be like living today. You know, it's like, well, maybe I'll decide to follow Jesus. Maybe I won't. Maybe I will today. I don't know. No, then it'll be very clear. You are either going to follow him or you're not you're going to have to you're going to have to stake your life on the decision that you make listen it's going to be a difficult time to come to god in that period because it will cost you your life but i also believe that this will be the greatest number of people coming to god in every any 7-year period in the history of this world listen to what it says in revelation 7 verse 9 after these things, I looked to behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, "Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb." All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, "Amen." Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in the white robes? Where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, I do not know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here in these verses, we see the impact of these preachers during the tribulation. These holy rollers. This is what they've done. Because they know exactly what they are supposed to do. They know why they're there. They know what they've come for. They know their purpose. You know, but this is the interesting thing about Israel. They didn't always know what their purpose was. There was a time when Israel actually forgot. Listen, from the time of Abraham, God chose the people of Israel to reach the world for God. When he delivered the people out of Egypt, listen to what he told them. This is what he told the Israelites. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That word holy, it just simply means set apart, set apart. You're different than everybody else. You're going to be a holy nation unto me. You're going to be set apart from all the other nations. You see, God came up with all these rules for these guys you ever read the Old Testament? All these different laws, these strange things, because they were supposed to be a different people, not like any other people on the planet. God chose to work in mighty miracles through these people. Do you realize when they got to Jericho, when they after they left Egypt, 40 years later, a prostitute named Rahab started saying, well, we know what God did. The whole world knows what God did. These mighty miracles. It wasn't just this isolated incident. God was working miracles so that the world would know that the God of Israel was real. You see, they were supposed to keep these yearly uh, holy days and do all these things so they could retell and retell what God has done and tell about the goodness. God was going to bless them. He was going to fight for them. He was going to provide for them that they would be the envy of all the other nations. You see, they were supposed to be different for a purpose. They were supposed to be blessed and chosen so that others would look on and wonder and say, wow, your God is really God. And see, when the nations wanted to know more, it's then that Israel would tell them about the one true God. You know, but the problem was they began to think that they were a chosen people just to be chosen unto themselves and blessed unto unto themselves. They confused their purpose. They thought they were a chosen people and that every other people, all the other people called Gentiles that weren't Jews, they were not to be with God, but we were to be with God, that we were only chosen to be God's people, no one else. You see, they missed the entire point of their uniqueness. They missed it completely. And they became so blinded that they even missed the cornerstone of their salvation. They missed the Messiah. They missed the one who was going to save them. You see, everything they did pointed to this Messiah, to this Savior that was coming. This guy who's going to take away the sins of the world. You know, in fact, this Messiah was supposed to come from their own line. Hopefully they were supposed to recognize it. Earlier in this Revelation series, Pastor Bob talked about this prophecy in the book of Daniel. And this prophecy tells when the Messiah was supposed to come. When this King Artaxerxes gives this decree to go and rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. He says from that day, there'll be 70, 69 weeks, the Messiah will come. And when you calculate that day, it calculates the day that he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey called Palm Sunday. And there, when he rides in on the donkey, if you know the story, all these people are worshiping him and they're throwing down their coats and they're saying, this is the son of David. This is the Messiah. This is our God. And the Jewish leaders at the time, the leaders of the nation said, hey, yo, Jesus, don't let him do this. This is blasphemy. You're letting them call you God, the son of David, the Messiah. You can't let him do this. And Jesus says this to them. Look, if I was to tell them to be quiet. Even the rocks would cry out, because this day is the day that God has appointed so that people would know that I am truly the Messiah. Listen, then something interesting happens. Jesus says this thing as he's riding toward Jerusalem. Listen, it's on your screen. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. God sees his people, Israel, they don't, man, all this that I've done for you all these years, everything, and even the Messiah is coming through your line and you didn't recognize it. And he says, now they've been blinded. And God takes the people of Israel and he puts them up on the shelf. And they're not being used. Listen, in every age, God has set apart people to bring the knowledge of God to this world. Their time was here till the time of Christ. That was the Jews' job. The job of the people of Israel. In the tribulation, God is going to use them again. But there's this interesting age right now that's in between. It's called the church age or the Gentile age. It's an age about you and me. You see, when Jesus was resurrected, like I said earlier, that began the church age. And it ends when he comes back for his church just before the tribulation. You see, listen to this verse. It says, I do not for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, you should lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. They're going to be blinded. They're going to be up on the shelf for now. Israel as a whole it doesn't mean every Jew can't come to come to know Lord. Every Israelite, they still can. But as a whole, as a nation, they are up on the shelf and they're blinded right now until all of the Gentiles. So this age is completed. So what does that mean for you and me? What does all this mean? All this stuff, the ground that I've just covered. It means that right now you are the chosen people of God to bring the gospel to this world, to bring this good news. Listen to this week's memory verse. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And does that verse sound familiar? That's Peter in the New Testament talking to the church. It sounds like almost like the very one that Jesus said, that God said to the people of Israel when they left Egypt, a holy nation, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That's us. Listen, this is the church age, and your purpose is to bring Gospel to the world. Listen, I've said all this in the first half of this study just so I can make this one point. And if there's nothing else you understand, it should be this. It's the first fill in in your outline. It's this. My purpose is to tell the world about Jesus Christ. My purpose is to tell the world about Jesus Christ. I think at times, like Israel, we've forgotten kind of our purpose. You know, God has made Christians different than the rest of the world. We're a little bit different, right? People are like looking on, like, why are you blessed? Why is this happening to you? Why, when a difficult time comes, do you have this peace about you? A peace that doesn't come from us, but it comes from God. They look on like, wow, you're different. You know, man, that guy just like, yelled at you like crazy and you didn't even do anything. You know, why did God heal you? Why did this thing happen? Because God is making us set apart so that we might tell the world. But the problem is sometimes we're wondering, you know, God, where are the blessings for me? That's how I feel Sometimes. I'm willing to admit it. Sometimes I'm like, what's in it for me? And God's saying, "Listen, I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to others, that you might lead them to me. That's why I'm doing it. You see, God left you and me on this planet for a reason. Do you ever wonder why, like, the minute you accepted Jesus, if you're supposed to be saved, why he didn't take you right up into heaven? All right, if that's the end game, if that's the goal, man, take me right now, because I'd rather be a bear than down here. So everything I know is supposed to be better. So I'm like, take me. But Jesus, interestingly enough, prayed. He even prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, I pray that you leave them here. Don't take them, but leave him. God, Jesus, what are you doing? Because he's leaving us here for a purpose. You know, Isaiah in chapter 53. By the way, if you've never read Isaiah 53, I would encourage you to do it. He declares this. He goes, who will declare his generation, the generation of Jesus? You know, Jesus had no kids. Despite what the Da Vinci Code was leading us to believe, Jesus had no kids. Who's to declare that generation? We are. We are the people. We are the generations that are to declare him. This is our time for you and me. Right now, in this age, it's our time. So what does this mean for you and for me? What does all this mean? Well, you realize that work isn't your purpose. You realize that some position that you can attain is not your purpose. Or all the things, these possessions that you can acquire, just like mafia wars, is not my purpose. Because in the end, they're not going to amount to anything. Amen. Listen, bowling on Tuesdays, clubbing on Friday nights, South Beach on Saturday, those aren't your purpose. Listen, they may be a part of your life. They may be even important to your life, but they are not your purpose. You know, we think the answer to God... When we we think the answer to that question, God, what is your will for my life, is some kind of like job or pursuit. That's the kind of, that's what we think. But it's not. Listen, the question, the answer to that question is simply this. God, what is your will for my life? He's going to say to you is to share the gospel of Jesus with everyone, to tell people about Jesus and lead them to me. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. We think it's what we do. That's what we think the answer is. The answer is share Jesus wherever you go, whatever you do. And God will lead you in the rest of the way. You know, how does this change things for you and to me? Well, now my purpose when I go to the factory is no longer to just make widgets. I get up every day. I go to work. I come back. It's not just to stand in that factory line making those things. It's to share with the person next to me or to make a difference. Oh, so it doesn't really matter what I do. Listen, if you're a teacher, go teach. But realize that that's your job, but your purpose is to share about God. Man, your attitude about going to work and how you interact with people is totally going to change. Listen, if you're a police officer, you're supposed to keep the peace. That's your job. But your purpose is to bring the peace of God to this world. Listen, even politicians, their job is to politic. But their purpose is to bring the message of God to this world. Listen, let me tell you four things to know about sharing the gospel. Because you're thinking, man, if I'm going to tell people about God, that sounds a little intimidating to me. So I want to give you some help. It's in your outline. The first thing, I am to live a life that draws people to God. I'm to live a life that draws people to God. It says in Revelation chapter 14 that we'll read later on that these 144,000 witnesses are virgins. I'm thinking, God. Where are you going to get 144,000 virgins in this day and age? You know? I'm, I got this picture in my mind that there's a bunch of 10 year old Jewish people running around in that age telling the gospel. I'm like, geez. Listen. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you're the only one who's doing something, doing it the right way? Like you're the only one following after God? You ever feel like you're the only one who doesn't cut the moral corners, right? You do it right. Listen, I want to show you guys uh, an illustration, but you need to pull out your phones. Yes, it's all right. Pull out your phones. Everybody grab your phone, pull it out and turn it on and silence it. Ha, gotcha. No, but do pull it out, pull it out, pull out your phone and uh, open it up. If it's a flip phone, come on, guys, open up your phones. I'm serious. Help me out here. Listen, when you pull out your phone, you got it on, right? Hold it up to your notes right now. Is it doing much? Is it helping you? A little bit? All right, try to experiment. Let's turn off the lights for a second. Turn off all the lights. Let's get black. Let's get dark in here. All right, now shine it. You see a little bit better? Making a difference? Yeah. Hold them up for a minute. All right, look around, guys. Look around. Hi. Right. Listen. It doesn't take a lot of light in a dark place, in a dark world, to make a difference. you guys see that? Do you see that? You're... <laughs> Listen, guys, it doesn't take a lot of light. You can make a difference in this world. In fact, the, the thing that someone might be a virgin, might make you different, might make you scared, is the most, maybe the most important thing, because it makes you stand out. Which is exactly what God was trying to do with the people of Israel. He's doing with the Christians today. The way we live our lives should stand out and make a difference. And if you guys had looked around, there's a lot more people, because sometimes we feel like we're all alone. I feel like sometimes I'm all isolated, that nobody else, because the whole world is going this way, and I'm all here alone, the only one believing, and that we're like one person who's following after God. There's a lot more of you out there than you think. But when you live your life in a certain way, it's going to make a difference because this world is dark. And how you live your life will make people stand up and notice. Listen, the moon. The moon is so bright because the sun is shining on it. It's reflecting off of it. But what happens when you see a half moon? Right. The world has gotten between the sun and the moon. So it's getting a little bit darker. It's dimming it out. And it's just like that for you and me. To the same proportion that the earth is between the, the sun and the moon is darkened. So our lights are darkened to the same proportion that the earth gets between you and me and the son of God. You see, when we allow to start, when we start following after everything that the world does. Then our lights become dimmer instead of following after the God who created us and saved us. You see, this is our time right now for you and me to shine. Listen, the second thing to know about sharing the gospel is I need I am to tell people about Jesus. I'm to tell people about Jesus. Our actions are often the thing that helps open the door for conversations, for like spiritual conversation. And because of your actions, you may find people like asking you questions or even wanting to know more. I, you know, I hear people talk to me all the time. They said, you know, I bring my Bible now to work and I start uh, reading and then people actually come up to me and ask me for advice like me. They're like they're actually asking me for advice because their light is beginning to shine and people are coming in their times of distress. They'll come and ask you well, what's going on. You know, what do I do about this? It will make a difference. But here's the thing. listen. It won't make much of a difference, at least an eternal difference, if we don't share with them about a Savior on a cross. Listen, the gospel this a big, fancy word, or I don't know, small, fancy word. The word gospel simply means the good news. That's it. Simply the good news. You see, the good news is this, that we were all sinners separated from God. And that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and me so that we could be with God forever. That we could have eternal life. Listen to what it says in the Bible. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. For the Jew first, also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I sometimes think to myself, like, how is this going to change anybody's life? Think about that, right? I mean, it sounds foolish, doesn't it? I mean, honestly. It sounds kind of silly. Trust in this guy who died on a cross. I mean, there are times, and I'm a Christian, and I'm trusting in that guy, and it still sounds foolish to me sometimes. I'm like, what are you talking? Th- that's going to do any difference? That's going to change somebody's life? And, like... I sometimes try to think of other wiser ways to tell people stuff, to lead them to God. But let me ask a question. Let me ask you a question. It's kind of the same question that God kind of asked me when I start thinking like that. Well, John, what was it that saved you? What was it that changed your life? You know, when, you, when I see pursued lots of things to try to make changes in my life, you know, you can try all these spiritual disciplines. You can try, like, seven steps. You can try pursuits, all sorts of different things. All the wisdom of the world couldn't change me. And what was it changed you? What's the thing that made a difference in your life? It was the simple, foolish message that Jesus died on the cross for me. That's what did it. That's what made all the difference in my life. That's the thing that made the only difference in my life and in my eternity. It's that simple. Listen, I don't know why God chooses to do it, but this is is the way he did it. He said, listen, I know it's a foolish message, but this is the way I've chosen to do it. Here, here it is in your, up on the screen. It's in your outline, too. For since the wisdom of God, excuse me, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Listen, anytime you think it's foolishness, you say, man, I don't even know. I'm going to tell this person that he needs Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for him we think it's not going to make a difference. Man, that's just exactly the way Jesus decided it's going to be done. That's the way God said it. And that is the power of God. That's all I can say. It's the power of God. And if you think it's foolishness, just remember what made the difference in my life. Because it can make the difference and it will make the difference in the lives of so many other people. The lives of the people of this world. (laughs) Listen, the gospel, by the way, is not telling people they need to quit lying or stealing. The gospel is telling people that what God has done for liars and stealers. Let God clean them up. That's not the important part of the message. The important part of the message is simply this: that Jesus, that I was a sinner, Jesus died for me, so that I might have eternal life. That's it. That's the good news. That's what we need to share. You know, sometimes we're hesitant because we think somebody's going to say no. What if I tell them all this and they say no? It's not your problem. Don't let that stop you. This is your goal. Tell them about God. You see, you're set apart. You're different. You're made that way so that people will come to you. And then all you have to do is tell them. Whether they accept it or not is their problem. It's up to them. And many will. And some won't. But that's not your decision. You've succeeded, whether they say yes or no, in just simply telling the gospel. Listen, I want to tell you something else about sharing the gospel that you are already fully equipped. Number three, I am already fully equipped. Listen, God, when he saved you, equipped you with everything that you need to know, you know, everything right now, you don't have to know the Bible inside and out, you don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to be some spiritual guru, you know, every single thing you need to know. Listen, the founder of Calvary chapels, which we are one of is a guy named Chuck Smith. And out in California where his church is, they would go to the beaches and witness witness like these 145,000 witness simply means telling people about Jesus. So they go to the beach. They go to Venice Beach and they're out there and there's a group of people. And there's this one uh, young girl new in the faith that she goes. And so they're all talking to people. and She sees this one guy and she thinks oh, okay, I'm going to walk up to him. So she walks up to the guy. And she's like, listen, I want to tell you about my savior, Jesus Christ. And the guy starts going, Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? I don't even know if he was a real figure. What about the Bible? I don't even think that's real. Huh? And she's like, I, hey, I don't know. I don't know. Listen, this is all I know. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And she's like, <clears throat> He's like Yeah, but what about dinosaurs? What about all this? She goes, Listen, I don't know. All I know is John three sixteen. And the guy keeps pounding her and pounding her, and she's like, Listen, that's all I know. And she walks away. And she's crying. And she gets back, and they, go, they come back from their, their, their uh, witnessing, and they get back to the church. And she talks to the leader of the thing, and she's like, look, at this, I'm, I'm done with this. I can't do it. And he's like, listen, just why don't you do this? Why don't you just go home, relax, and try it one more time. and we'll come back again next week. So they go out next week, and she decides to go. And she's on Venice Beach, and she's looking, and there's this guy again. And she sees the guy, and she's like, oh, my God. She starts walking away, but the guy sees her. So he starts walking after her and she's like, listen, all I know is John 3 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And he's like, wait, I know, I know. Listen, I know. He goes, and since you've told me that, I haven't been able to stop thinking about that. And all I know is that I need to know this Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a true story. It's a true story. We don't have to know great numbers of things. We don't have to be pastors. Or people who've been studying the Bible all our lives. God has equipped you with all the knowledge you need to know. If you've been saved and accepted Jesus, that's all you need to know. To share the gospel with somebody else. To lead them to God. That's it. Listen, one more thing I want to tell you about sharing the gospel. That you're ready to start today. I'm ready to start today. Listen, there's no statue of limitations. And when you begin telling people about Jesus... You're ready today, right now. In fact, that message has been ready for 2,000 years, already ready, just waiting there. Realistically, it's been there before the beginning of time, before the creation. Listen, I want to remind you of the memory verse, maybe one that you want to choose to remember this week. It says, but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This generation, you are the generation right now. Not the generation before us. Not the generation after us. They'll come after us. But right now, you and me. Listen, we don't have to wait to discover God's purpose for us. We know it right now. It's to share with the world about Jesus Christ our time is right now hey let's pray Lord I pray that it truly is if there's one thing that we've learned today Lord that our purpose is to share with this world about Jesus Christ Lord, I want to say thank you for what you've done in our lives Lord help us to be the Christians give us words give us the courage To be your light in this world. To share about the one and only true Savior that can lead us to you. Lord, I pray that you bless everyone here today and help us understand that. In Jesus' name.